couple days after Christmas. I hope all of your Christmases were enjoyable, whether you spent them uh, with family or were what? Or, mm, yep, you can't talk. Um, so anyways, I hope they were enjoyable. And I have no announcements, but I'm going to uh, do something right now. Tyler, there's a bag on my seat. Will you bring it up here, please? Thank you, sir. All right, so Christmas was Friday, and um, there are two very special people in this room that they give endlessly and they serve tirelessly, even if they do get tired sometimes, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So, um, Pastor Dan, Miss Sherry, on behalf of New Heights Fellowship, we have a gift for you. And um, in this gift, there's something that you can do out together, and there's something that you can do home together as a family. So, for you both, that's for us. All right. And without any further ado, my thumb just popped. Oh, Michael. RJ, will you open us up in prayer, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for the ability for us to be here, Lord. And, uh, thank everyone for coming out. And God, I pray for those who are struggling right now because with all everything going on this year has just been rough. But Lord, we know that you're still in charge and that you still seek over, you still look over us, and you still protect us. And uh, God, I just pray that we hear your word today and that we learn something and grow. Some way, somehow, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Praise God. And you know what that word Alleluia or Hallelujah means, right? Praise the Lord. And so we sing songs of praise, but we also speak praises. And one way that the Lord is praised is when we speak what the Lord would have us to speak, right? So you you let God uh, use you to deliver His message. Maybe He spoke to you in some way through His Word, uh, or He showed you something as you were traveling along, uh, or He blessed you in some way and you just need to tell others that you're blessed. Whatever it might be. One way that we praise Him and, and is to witness for Him. We, our key verse for our church is we proclaim what we have seen and heard that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. Sometimes I put them in the wrong order, but yeah, that's right. Okay? It's First John 1, 3. And so we proclaim what we have seen and heard. So I hope you've seen and heard something this last week and you'd like to tell us about it now. That's kind of what this time is all about. So what did you see? What did you hear? What did you read? What have you studied? What did you see along the way this last week? Who's got something? It's been very busy. It's been a little bit of a whirlwind for some folks. It went by in a blur, but right now you're accessing, I hope, the last seven days. Okay, what happened? What was that all about? I got something, but I haven't had time to look it up or something. Okay, go ahead. We'll help you. I'll share it next week. Okay, share it next week. So I started about a week ago, eight days ago actually, and I finished it yesterday, which tells you it was a six-day Bible study, and I finished it in eight days. Um, and uh, I finished it yesterday, and I started a Bible study on manhood restored. Um, biblically speaking, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to uh, have a man's relationship with other people, man's relationship with God? And like that was a pretty good Bible study. We did it through version, which is the Bible app. If you've never checked that out, but you're capable of using your smartphone, I highly recommend you do that. I'm not a super fan of the Bible studies on there because a lot of them come from companies that produce Bible studies or specific church ministries and things like that. And sometimes they're not really doctrinally correct. They're really more of a commercial for that ministry than they are about the Bible. And I don't. I, I kind of. I ran into too many of those in a row, and so I sort of stopped doing them. Um, but then the Lord led me back around there this week, and then I found out that Lifeway, which is, and if you didn't know this, know this, Lifeway, which had the Lifeway Christian stores all across the U.S., but they closed them this last year, ironically, right before COVID roared, uh, which is an interesting uh, timing. That's the way God worked it out. Um, but Lifeway is owned by Southern Baptists, which means indirectly through some media intermediaries, we own it. We own Lifeway. Um, because we have, our agents then participate at the national level and the national convention, which is we're part of, owns Lifeway. And so I thought, well, they're going to be doctrinally correct because we believe in the Baptist faith message. So I looked at this Bible study and it was really good. And I'll probably do more Bible studies on there that are Lifeway Bible studies and sort of avoid some others that I don't know for sure where they come from. Anyway, so I found this Bible study and I'm doing it. And I don't even remember which day it was, uh, somewhere in the middle. So probably three, four, something like that. Um, it struck me that, um, so we talk a lot about how Jesus, how people are looking for Jesus, right? And there's a gaping hole inside people who don't know Jesus. And that's the way I was before I got saved. There was a gaping hole inside me. And that hole was causing me to do a lot of destructive things, involved, sometimes involving people around me, so I was leading them doing destructive things, or uh, consuming the people around me, right? So manipulating them, lying to them, um, doing things behind their back, you know, whatever because I had this gaping hole inside me that was looking for something and it didn't have Jesus. 
So we do, we, we talk about that. And then in this Bible study, it was talking about how Christian men, now in theory, the hole is filled with the living water that is Christ, right? And so now there is the opportunity to live as a man in a way that God intended. And the first couple of Bible studies were about how to get there, right? So it was the fall in Genesis, how man and God had a breaking relationship, man and people had a breaking relationship, man and creation had a breaking relationship, uh, man and himself had a breaking relationship, and all that happened in Genesis, and then the gospel, and now we're getting to living for living with other people without having that bad relationship that you used to have. And I thought, that's it. That's the whole rest of life, you know? And I'm thinking about that, and I thought... I have people in my life that I love, and if I'm going to be a man, this is about being just being a man, right? If you're going to be a man, then you're going to treat them a certain way. Uh, it's about integrity. So you don't lie, you don't deceive, you don't ma- manipulate. You don't get angry and loud to get them to do what you want, because even though that may get them to do what you want, it's damaging or destructive. Right? It's the wrong way to go. You can oppose their wrong actions like God does. You fight back a little bit. You can resist allowing them to do things that they're when they're kids especially, but as an adult, you can resist allowing them to take you in a certain direction. So, hey, let's go over here and party, or let's go over here. You can say, no, no, that's not for me. Right? So then I got to thinking about my the first book I wrote, which goes back to the day I got saved, and it tells the story of how I got saved. And I thought, that's what God told me when I first got saved. Before I got saved, and I and actually Sherry asked me, she said, what's that going to mean when you accept Jesus Christ, when you begin to follow Jesus, what's that going to mean? And I said, I don't know exactly, but this much I know, it's going to change everything. So as I'm doing that Bible study, I thought, I was thinking to myself, that was supposed to change everything. And I said, did it change everything? And I started thinking, well, no, it, it really didn't change everything. It was supposed to change everything, but it didn't change everything. And then this is what God said to me. In his great grace, he says, don't worry, I'm still working on it. And I thought, I've still got a long way to go. You know, I'm still being changed by God from the inside out. I'm still growing. And so sometimes when people offend you, or they do what wouldn't really be right, or wouldn't really help you along, or whatever, as a man, you you have to be able to say for yourself, Hey, you know, God's still working on me. I still make mistakes. And humbly say about that other person, God's still working on them. They still make mistakes too. And that's what it means to be a man. To recognize our own mortality, because that's being a man, you're mortal. To recognize our own failures and weaknesses. And then to give, I want to say, even more grace to others in their failures and weaknesses because you recognize your own. And last week in my sermon... This is God's beautiful timing. Last week my sermon, I read that song, um, Hand in the Hand. What's it called? Hand in your hand, your hand. Put your hand in the hand. Yeah. And in there it says, take a look at yourself, and you can look at others differently. And you'll see others differently. And that's it. So if we recognize where we were, and where God is taking us to, and that we're still on that journey, then we can give people, other people, even more grace. And that's what it means to be man. It does not mean get in your way. It does not mean being loud. It does not mean being mean when someone is mean to you. It doesn't even mean defending yourself violently when someone comes after you violently. That is something you might have to do. 
Right? You might have to decide, defend yourself in violence. But that is not the definition of being a man. It does not mean being better at sports. It does not mean not being able to pick a paint color. Right? It does not mean leaving your underwear laying on the floor. It means doing what's right, the best you know how, and giving others even more grace than you give yourself. How do I know that? I know that because Jesus was a man. And that's what he did. He gave us all that grace while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while he was on the cross, those who were crucifying him, he prayed for them. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what Jesus did. And he could even say he was still on the journey, even though he never sinned. So that was my Bible study. I was in the middle of the Bible study. It ended with some additional thoughts on how to, to carry that out. Um, but I don't know that God expressly spoke to me at that time, but he spoke to me when he said, don't worry about it. I'm still working on it. And we're still a work in progress. Praise God. Okay, I saw you may be queuing up a video. Do you have a video that you'd like to say something about? All right, I'll move back here. Video, go.
I walk through the ashes of my passions, reminiscing with the baggage in my casket. Get lost in the questions I can't answer. Can't stand who I am, but it don't matter. We scream to be free, but I stay captured. Knee deep in the feet of my own actions. Feel weak, but the peace that I keep lacking keeps speaking to me, but I can't. But I can't have some people are very hard to do. Um, I've struggled with that my whole life. I, I'm not a very open person. I don't like being an open person because I feel vulnerable. And uh, one of the one of the lyrics in this song, it says, suicide thoughts come and go like a gastamine, but I don't want to die. I just want to get relieved. So don't talk to me like you think I'm so successful. What it says when hope has left you. So he's what a lot of people would see as a very successful artist. He's had songs that went multi-platinum. He's, he's well-known all across the country and even across the seas. But he says that what is, hope, what is success when there's no hope? If you lose the, the hope inside you to keep moving, if you lose that, then no matter what, you're never going to get successful. Um, there's another song that he writes, and uh, one of the lyrics is, if you wake up every morning thinking you're going to be defeated, then you're going to get defeated. You're, you're going to set yourself up to fail, and something that I've been trying to instill in my kids is you can't set yourself up to fail. No matter how down you get, no matter how hurt you get, no matter how hard something seems, you have to keep pushing on. You, if you automatically tell yourself, I'm not going to be able to do it, then you're not going to do it because you're setting yourself up to fail. So one of the things that I, I like that I've, I think I've done decent anyways is a lot of the times when I get to a point in some things, not all things, but some things, I get to a point where it's really hard and I'm like, you know what, I just got to keep going. You got you to keep that push forward. But if you lose that, 
then there is no amount of money, no amount of success in this world that will ever make you happy. Okay. So you, you have to remember where you're in, like who you are inside. You can't lose that because that is the only thing that is going to make you successful is you. You can't let others push you down. You can't let others get in your way, but you also can't let yourself get in your way. And when I was younger, that is something I struggled with. I, I struggled with that a lot when I was younger. I, I got myself in the way and I'm like, no, I can't do that. It's too hard. And then as I got older and the military actually helped me out a lot with that, but it showed me that you are capable of doing so much more than you give yourself credit for. So when we're walking with God and we're praying to God and we're trying to find His direction, just keep going forward. Don't worry about what happened in the past. The past is the past. You can't change it anyways. So don't be so dwelled up in the past of what you did before. Just look at that and be like, okay, well, what I learned from that and what you take away from that will help you move forward. All right, well, we're going to pray together at this time. I do want to do a quick, just kind of insert it into your mind, and, uh, and that is that uh, we are now going to do our uh, next spiritual yeah, spiritual discipline emphasis, and it is on stewardship. So we decided in our team of meetings we would focus on stewardship between now and May. In May, we will be uh, five years constituted. And so soon we'll be talking about trying to figure out how under COVID protocols and all that good jazz that we can celebrate our five-year anniversary at the Constitute Church. And I'd like to go back maybe and invite some folks that have that the Lord has led to move on and things like that to participate with us. I think that would all be a very good experience. But with this, the stewardship emphasis, I just want to throw these things out there. Number one, over this next week, I want you to pray about and think about what is it that you have. And by have, I mean have control of, right? Because it really all belongs to God. But what is it that you have? Where did it come from? What is it that you have and where did it come from? And based on those two questions, what you have and where did it come from, what are you going to do with it? And I think in its very simplest form, that is the definition of stewardship. Knowing what you have and where it came from, and then what are you going to do with it based on those two things. Uh, if God gave it to you, then that last one should line up with God's priorities, right? Somehow or other, if you know what you have and you know where it came from, what are you going to do with it? All right, so we're going to pray together this time in tithes and offerings, a little more worship, and then into the Word. Um, and we don't often as often get this opportunity, but I'm going to ask um, Alicia... Would you pray for us today as we go forward? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you once again for this day, for bringing us here to worship together, um, even in this crazy time right now, Lord. I thank you for protecting those of us that are here and bringing us through this pandemic, and I ask that you continue to do so um, and help us in doing ministry and reaching out to those um, I also pray for the tithes and offerings that we're going to give today that they be used for your will, that we give um, to the best of our ability, that we give more than we feel we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
When does Christmas or the Christmas season actually end? Uh, I heard a little devotional a long time ago about uh, leaving your Christmas lights up. And there was a guy who, was, who wrote the devotion who was quite angry with people who leave their Christmas lights up until March or April uh, and then take them down. And I, you know, his anger is a little misplaced, of course, because it's none of his business as far as when people leave their Christmas lights up too. But the bottom line is he, w- he expressed his frustration with people who put Christmas lights up at Christmas time. And sometimes they put them up you know, in early November, or even at Halloween time, and leave them all the way up to March. And he said he had a neighbor who lived across the street from him, a few houses down. And he uh, asked his neighbor, what the heck, man? Why do you have your Christmas lights up five months out of the year. Christmas time is not five months out of the year. And the man went on to explain to him, he said, the funny thing about Christmas is people don't really realize it wasn't meant to end December 26th or right after you get done making all your trips to deliver gifts or after you've opened all your gifts uh, or uh, after you've cleaned up the mess or whatever. And he said that was such a good answer. It got him thinking about it and he went and prayed about it. And and the Lord said that the the man who was leaving his Christmas lights up for five months had a better understanding of the extension or the lasting nature of Christmas than the guy who was frustrated about his neighbor leaving his lights up. And so if you're frustrated about people prolonging Christmas or continuing Christmas on uh, when Christmas is over, hey, we got it done, we got it over with, you might want to ask yourself, when does Christmas really end? Does it end when all the gifts are open? Does it end when the Christmas tree is taken down and put out by the road to be picked up by the refuse people or burnt out by the burning can? Does it end when all the lights are boxed up neatly for next year, when all the ornaments are put away? When, when people stop saying Merry Christmas? I had a man who, who messaged me Merry Christmas on Christmas Eve, and I never saw the message. And so I messaged him Merry Christmas back this morning. And I thought, well, I should put Merry Belated Christmas. Like when it's somebody's birthday and you forget and then you go the next day, maybe you should Merry Belated Christmas. And then I thought, no, in light of my sermon this morning, I better just put Merry Christmas. When does Christmas end? When I was a kid, I had an uncle who was my best and favorite uncle. He would play with me. We made cardboard houses and crawled between, even though he was 20 years older than me. Uh, he was the youngest of his brothers and young, quite a bit younger than my dad. And he would play. We played hide and seek. We played cops and robbers and all kinds of things. And on Christmas Eve, we would meet at my grandparents' house and we would open gifts with my grandparents and he would always buy me a gift. And I remember going there on Christmas Eve and thinking, of course, he was going to buy me the best Christmas gift because he was the one who always played with me. He understood me the best. He cared about me and my strange perception the most. I thought maybe even more than my parents, you know, because he was always there playing and we were having fun together and all these things. And in my small child mind, I thought maybe that meant he cared about me more and I got a Christmas gift from him. And it was a pretty good gift. But it wasn't great. 
and I was a little let down. Does Christmas end when the person that you thought would give you the best gift actually gives you one that's kind of trite or maybe something that doesn't fit? When I was younger, I remember Christmas. I don't know if you remember these days. I don't think they're around as much anymore, but I remember right after Christmas, starting on the 26th, my mother would get out all the gifts that we got that were the wrong size, and there were quite a few of them, or that we already had, there were quite a few of them, and we would go around and hit all the stores and return all the gifts or exchange the gifts. One year I got a coat, a winter coat for Christmas, and it didn't fit me. It was too small. Maybe, a, you know, like I was in a 10-12, and it was like a 7-8 or something. It was quite a bit too small. And she went to go return it to Kmart over on Navarre, and they said, you, you can't return it. It doesn't have the tag on it. She said, well, I received it as a gift. Of course it doesn't have the tag on it. And he said, well, you can't return it. It doesn't have the tag on it. And my mom, being the indomitable, uh, not giving up person that she was, indomitable, she went out to the car and left the coat in the car, went back in and bought a coat just like the one that I received for Christmas, but in my size. Then she went out to the car and took the tag off the coat that she bought that was my size and she put it on the coat that was not my size and she took it back in and she returned it for cash. And as she was walking to the car, she said, oh, good, now we're done with Christmas. When does Christmas end? That's the question. And I'm going to submit to you that for Mary, for a human Mary, for a Mary that understands God but now has to get on to business, it sort of ends in the story that we're going to read today. I think that she will eventually learn it didn't end here, but she feels like it did. And so grab your Bibles if you will. Uh, Maybe say amen, hoot, holler, Yahtzee, Uno, whatever your favorite game is, or just say I won or I will win or Jesus or something. Say something as we go to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Amen. Thank you for those of you who participated in the when we were worshiping, I had to come over and ask you to be quiet. Now I asked you to be loud and you didn't say nothing. What's going on? All right. Okay, now everybody be quiet for a second. Karina, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2. Come on. Amen. All right, there we go. We're in, baby. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Here we go. All right. And it says, And when eight days had passed, so this is eight days after Luke, the first part of Luke 2, which was when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his, his, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their pur- purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So they had to wait a certain period of time. That was kind of the, the rule of, uh, of the temple, if you will. And they brought Jesus up to present him to the Lord. Verse 23. And parentheses it says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Why do you think that was? It's an interesting thing. That's not what we're going to get into today, but it's interesting that every firstborn male would be called holy unto the Lord. It goes back to coming out of Egypt, right? All right. And the fact that one firstborn male would eventually become the Messiah. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So they're going to go up and make this sacrifice. Um, basically, it's praising God, right? It's uh, Purification is pretty much done. But it's basically praising God for, for what he's done. 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. That's a great description. Looking for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the way that God was going to take care of everybody. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Whew! This is a guy. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
I would like God to say to me, it would be awesome, if God would say to me, in fact, it would, it would probably heighten my message a little bit, if God would say to me, look, you will not physically die. Your body will not stop, stop working before Jesus comes back again. I would like that, because that means I won't die. Right? I'll go straight to heaven. That would be great. Uh, and also, I think it would heighten your awareness. You know what I mean? You'd live for the Lord daily if you know. Because if it's only, so if it's only at most, say, 40, 50 years, however old I'm going to live to be, then I better live those years pretty good, right? And this guy is doing that. He has been told that he will see the Lord's Christ before he dies. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So this is Simeon. He comes into the Spirit, Holy Spirit on him. He comes in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms. Okay, we'll stop there for one second. So this is Simeon. This is this old guy who's been promised he would see Jesus, the coming Messiah, the consolation of Israel, before he dies. And he walks in, Holy Spirit on him, and he takes Jesus into his arms to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, so he speaks well of God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. In other words, now he can die because now he's seen the coming of the Messiah. He says, according to your word. And here is, by the way, one of the most clearest pronouncements in Scripture that God's will and his speaking into the heart of men is his word. The word is logos. Okay, Even though we know there's no more Bible. There's no Bible after this. This is it. Genesis through Revelation. But when when people try to say to you, there's no more word, that's not true. There is a living word who is Christ, and there is a a God's will word who is spoken into the hearts of men. In fact, he said he would write it on the hearts of men. Right? And so the word of God came to Simeon, and now he says, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. See, he had seen Jesus. Now, now I have seen it, he says, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. God did this in front of everybody. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's the part of the gospel that in this day sort of smacks a Jew man in the face because they really felt they were the only ones by now. All those prophecies in the Old Testament, right, that the, the Messiah would be for both Jew and Gentile, but in this day, they have, they have kind of turtled up, right? They won't speak even to a Samaritan, which would be a half-blood, half you have something else. They won't even literally be in their presence. They, go, they will travel miles around through the desert to stay out of Samaria because they are, Jews are holy, right? But he says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Okay, now this is good. Up until this point, this is really good, isn't it? It's like the continuation of Christmas. They're really still unwrapping the gift. They're really still figuring out exactly how awesome this gift of God, who is Jesus, is. So it's really good up until here. And they're amazed. And it isn't amazed like baffled. It's amazed like, wow, this is awesome. Right? I'm so pleased. In fact... Um, the the word here that is translated amazed is it has an undertone of appreciation. Like you received the gift you really, really wanted and then not only was it what you really, really wanted, but on top of that, it has features you didn't even know it had. And that's where they're at. They are amazed at what is being said about Jesus. But hang on. 34. And Simeon blessed them. So he blesses Mary and Joseph. And said to Mary his mother, Behold, 
You're amazed at that? Watch this. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. In other words, he is going to cause something, he is going to be something, something that's going to happen that will cause for the fall and rise of many. The fall is when somebody moves out of grace, when somebody moves from their position to a lower position. The fall is when somebody falls, right? And arises when somebody is lifted up. He's going to reverse the order of things. There's going to be a change. Some who are up are going to go down, and some who are down are going to go up. And that's a little bit of a mixed blessing, depending on whether you think you're down or up. Right? If you're up, you go, some are going to fall. I don't want that to be me. If you're down, you think, some are going to rise. I want that to be me. Right? If you start thinking you're up, be careful. You might not actually be. <laughs> you know? And so she, he's, she's told now that he, that he will be appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. And that'd be kind of a mixed blessing. And then he says, and for a sign to be opposed. That's kind of rough. Now Jesus is going to be a sign who will be opposed. He's going to have enemies. He's going to have people that are against him. People that are going to try to stop him from doing what it is that he is trying to do. That's definitely not really a mixed blessing. That's just bad. I mean, he's going to live in the, uh, in the limelight. He's going to be seen, so that might be good. But then he's going to be opposed. That's not so good. And things start to kind of go bad here, right? And then he says in 35, And a sword will pierce even your own soul. Ouch! So Mary's soul will be pierced because of Jesus. And then, specifically because, he says, to the end, this is how all this will come out, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Which is interesting because the one thing you really can't do with people, and everybody seems to always be trying to do, is understand the thoughts of people's hearts. We're constantly questioning people's motivations, right? He called me up to check on me, but does he really want something from me? You know? He says happy birthday, but is he really out to get something? Or is she really out to get something? Uh, why did he act? Why did he get mad when I said that? We're constantly questioning people's motivations all the time. And Jesus would be used, this is the process explained, we'll come back to it in a second, but to the end, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We're going to read just a little bit more so that you uh, understand how this went down. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, who was, I think, the eighth son of Jacob. And, and that was the beginning of the founding of the tribe of Asher. Still exists, and they could trace their lineage back. And she was of the tribe of Asher, this older woman. She was advanced in years, and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So she'd been married for seven years. And then, as a widow, to the age of 84. So afterwards, she never remarried until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple. So all the time, she is in the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up. Now, this is kind of like the, where the dad says, Listen, I'm going to punish you. And the mom comes up and says, But know that he loves you. He really does love you. He's going to punish you for what you did wrong, but he's not doing it. You know. So now they're going to get a little comfort from her after they got this kind of rough news bringing their joyous time of amazement to end, or could. And she, at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God. So she rejects the whole conversation about Mary's going to be upset and, and stabbed through the soul with a sword. Right? She doesn't say it's not true. It's definitely true. But she says, don't dwell on that. Don't dwell on that there's suffering involved. Don't get wrapped up in the difficulty of this situation. But instead, bless God. Let us give thanks to God. And she continued to speak of Him, that is Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now before we get into the point 
the message for a moment, we just should see that Anna's message is extremely encouraging and very timely. Because it seems like for Mary, Christmas, as we think of Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is coming to an end. She's getting the rude awakening that the gift does have a severe downside. Right? But this encouraging message is very timely that this woman brings. Mary could have been crushed under the weight of Simeon's message. But here comes an encouraging message and let us praise God. And then also I want you to notice here that Anna then goes out and she's telling everyone who was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem about the coming of this baby. So I want you to think for a second. We're just going to go aside for one second. Jerusalem, Herod, Anna. She's telling everyone in the temple about the coming of this baby who will be the redemption, right? Somewhere in there, you've got to figure... Herod could have heard, certainly if he was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, right? he would have heard. Then later, we're not going to go there, but later when the Magi come, he reacts in a very interesting way. If he had just been looking for the redemption of Israel, he'd have heard about the coming of Jesus here, and then he either could have said, well, yeah, as long as you understand he's, this guy's not king, that's cool, and he could have embraced Jesus. But he really wasn't looking for the redemption of Israel, was, of Jerusalem, was he? He really wasn't looking for God's will to be done. He wasn't looking for the Messiah and so on. We see the difference there between Herod and Anna and Simeon and how God did this thing right under everyone's noses. And then it takes a couple years for Herod to catch up and want to do something about it. In here it says that Jesus would be appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed... And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And those are the points of the sermon. So if you're a note taker or amazingly somehow a sermon memorizer or if you're a preacher and you want to pick apart my style, those are the points of the sermon. The first is that Jesus would be appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. The fall and rise. We've already talked about how you can't fall unless you're up and you can't rise unless you're down. You might think you're up, you're not actually, and you rise up, right? But the bottom line is, unless you are mistaken about your position, you cannot fall or rise unless you are actually up or down. Jesus would be a stumbling block for a lot of folks, and that becomes a major concern in the New Testament. And I I submit to you that anything that is a major concern in the New Testament is a major concern to us, because we are New Testament Christians, We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ after His death, His burial, and His resurrection in presence of the Holy Spirit and filled with living water. We are worshipers in spirit and truth. And if that is who we are, then anything that becomes a major concern in the New Testament is a major concern for us. And Jesus would be appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. Is that a bad thing? Peter would write it this way, and coming to Him as a living stone which has been rejected by men... But as choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. And he's quoting Isaiah. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve... 
The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. Do you hear that? There are people that are not going to believe in Jesus. Now, we need to give everybody an opportunity to believe in Jesus. You should be a witness, and if possible, spread the good news. But the bottom line is there are people that are not going to believe in Jesus. And people who disbelieve or refuse to believe in Jesus are appointed to stumble because they are disobedient to the Word. But you are a chosen race. It's talking about us. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, in other words, that which they think you're wrong, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation." Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. He wanted to come unto them. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. Listen to this. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. And then 13, and this is the most important one, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What is that which allows God to establish you? Remember, this is about the fall and rise. Do you want to fall or do you want to rise? Right? You've got to have a firm surface to rise from. You've got to have somewhere to stand in order to climb. Right? You've got to have, even if you're climbing a rope, it's a lot easier with a knot to climb on or at least a thick rope to get a good grip. When you're climbing a rope and there's nothing below you, the grip itself is what you stand on. Do you want to fall or do you want to rise? Peter says, this is it. This is the thing. So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. We already talked about how you'll stumble at the stumbling block if you disbelieve or are not obedient to his word. Those are not the qualifiers. That wasn't where he went. He actually said, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness. It's the loving others, the loving one another, that allows God then to establish us in the presence when Jesus comes in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. It doesn't stop. It doesn't say, if you believe today, you'll be good then. It doesn't say that. Now that may be true. We believe that if, you're, if you earnestly believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. All right? I was talking to Ariana during her devotional. In fact, it was last night. And, she said, and I, we were talking about forgiveness and how... Um, God forgives sins. And, and in the devotional, it talked about how you should pray to God or talk to God after you sin. You realize you sin, you talk to God and confess your sins to God and let God forgive you of those sins. And she said, but, but actually, Daddy, we don't have to do that, right? And I said, 
What do you mean exactly? She said, well, because we have believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, all of our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. Now, this is a six-year-old, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. It is true, right? So you will definitely, if you have believed in Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will definitely go to heaven. So you have a, a forgiveness, if you will, that you will definitely go to heaven. John writes then that you should confess, you should admit, right? So like if you do something wrong, you have to admit that you did it wrong. To lie about it would be to do something additional wrong, right? So let's say if mom and daddy told you to go to bed, and instead of going to bed, you went and played. And then I said, I come out, you jump in your bed real quick, and I said, have you been in bed? And you say, yeah, I've been in bed. I said, Ariana, you've not been in bed. I heard you playing. You said, no, no, I wasn't playing. I was in bed. So now not only did you not do, you disobeyed in the first place, but now on top of that, you're lying about it. Right? And I actually read her the passage from 1 John. We talked about how we confess our sins. But you notice in there, he is faithful and just to forgive us, Jesus. Right? So we're forgiven. But then also to cleanse us of unrighteousness. So when you will not admit, will you not confess that you have a sin? I explained to her, you want to be cleansed of the effect of the sin. You want to put it away. You want to feel better. You don't want to have the ramifications of it. You don't want to be stuck in it and keep going. Right? And doing more. You want to stop. So you confess to God. You say, okay, God, I admit that I have this sin. Right? Actually, that same passage of Scripture goes on to say that if you lie about it and you, tell, then you, make, and you say you don't have sin, then you make God out to be a liar. Mm. And if God is a liar, by the way, then none of us are saved. Because we're saved by the promises that God gave to Abraham and displayed and brought through Jesus to us. We are, we are saved by the seed of Abraham. Right? That's what we read last week in Romans. All right, so the fall and the rise of many. You want to stand or be established at the moment. Here's what I want to say to you. That because people will not love others, they do not continue in ongoing, abiding, unstopping, always loving, because they don't do that, then in the moment that Jesus comes, they will not be established in holiness at the coming of Jesus. So there are people who, who sort of love themselves, but it's not a very good way. And they sort of love others, but it's not a very good way. And then when Jesus comes, he says, get away from me, I never knew you. Because they don't love after having been loved by God. We love because He first loved us. So then we leave the love out. And when you leave the love out, then Jesus comes and there will be the rising and the falling of many. Don't you remember the, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats? Jesus said in Matthew 7, He said, There will be those who say unto me, Lord, Lord, but will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those people did a lot of amazing things and they said they believed. They called Him Lord. But they don't get to go in. What's really interesting is the response of people. Jesus says, you come in because I knew you and they're coming in. And he said, you took care of me. You did this for me and you did this for me. And they said, Lord, when did we see you and do those things for you? And what are the things he's talking about? He's talking about expressions of love, right? And John writes and says, if you love another, we read this last week, if you love another, then you are loving as God loves. If you truly love, you are in love. And it, being in love, being encompassed or abiding in love is how we know that we are saved. And this is how they will know that you are His disciples by the way you love one another. So the bottom line is, Jesus will be the perfect example of love. And He will mark out how there will be a falling and a rising of many. And it is not as simple as, it, it definitely is based in it, and it fundamentally has to have belief, but it's that belief then flowing into the love, becoming the love. If Jesus loved you so much that He would die for you, how much should you love those that Jesus loves the same way? 
It's about the love. If there's no love, get ready for a fall. I understand it's about belief as well. Right? God said His only begotten Son, so whosoever believes. But the belief is translated into action of love. Now that talks a lot about last week. But here is Mary in the temple being told by Simeon that He will be a sign for the fall, of the fall and the rise of many. Appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. So there are going to be people who are devout Jews who claim the name of Abraham, claim the name of Jacob, claim the name of God's people, God's favored people. And because they will not believe in Jesus, they will fall. And that's not all that bad of a thing, really, because she's a poor girl. She's going to flee and run. She's going to go through some real hard times. She's young. But I want to say to you that Jesus was appointed that she would rise. And maybe it's the same thing for us. Notice, secondly, that he would be assigned to be opposed. An indeterminate, seeming unendless effort goes into teaching against the truth that is Jesus and his provided salvation. We were watching uh, Power Rangers. One of my sons, Ariana, was really watching it, and this is what happens with Power Rangers. So she watches it, and like the whole family will eventually get sucked into watching Power Rangers. And uh, so we're watching, and one of my sons says to me, I just don't understand why the robots just don't win. They never have to sleep. They could fight 24 hours a day. There's no reason why they just don't win. And I said, well, actually, it's interesting you say that. Most of the shows have built into it a reason why the robots can't fight 24 hours a day. They don't have enough fuel to make enough robots. One is destroyed, and then they have to wait to make another one or things like that. There are reasons. But some of them don't. And the fact is, if the enemy in the show never quits, never sleeps, never stops, then nobody should resist, right? Eventually, you will lose. If you face a bigger number and they never quit, they never stop, and they're powerful, you will eventually lose. And that is exactly what we are facing. An indeterminate, seemingly unendless effort goes into teaching against the truth that is Jesus and His provided salvation. I'm going to read briefly from 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. It's in chapter 1, verses 20 to 31. And it says this, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. In other words, they, they had access to the wisdom of God and then they interpreted it their way and they didn't come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. I hope you understand the context of what he's saying here. He's saying, as smart as you may ever be, as much learning as you may ever get, as practiced as you might be in various steps of religion, whatever, this crucifixion that wins the day, it's baffling. It's amazing. It's blinding even for those who just will not accept that sins must be paid for. That propitiation can only be through blood. 
that a sacrifice, that all those sacrifices that they did all those days and years in the temple were all pointing to one sacrifice, which if you can't grasp that concept, then this crucifixion of Jesus that pays for sins becomes a stumbling block. It becomes, seems like foolishness. We preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, if you are the ones, if you are willing to accept, to believe and to live out what Jesus would have you to do, if you are the ones favored by God to believe and continue in the faith, then it is the power of God and the wisdom of God, this crazy message that we have that one died for all. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, that means looked down on, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification. That means progressively becoming more holy or or holiness. Sanctification is holiness. And redemption bought back. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Listen to me. If the enemy army opposes the truth, Jesus was assigned to be opposed. If he opposes the truth, I want you to ask yourself now, I want you to decide in your own heart, who's stronger? Every worldly person in the world? Every worldly TV station? Every demon and every evil spirit? Or you? Who's stronger? But greater is he than, who is in you than he that is in the world in every context and in every piece. I know as a Christian you want to say you're stronger, but I'm just gonna, let's be realistic. It is not me that's stronger. I'm not stronger than a demon. I'm not stronger than Satan. But God's power in me is stronger. See, Jesus would be assigned to be opposed. And oh, he has been opposed. I think you, you sometimes get a picture of this opposition when you examine what happens in the political or social arena. Whether it be in a, a running for president or whether it be becoming a popular movie star, whatever, people become very popular. And then somebody goes after them. And scandals happen. No one cares to scandalize me or you because we're just not popular enough. But people who become popular or politically correct, they get scandalized. And if you started leading people to Jesus, and if you start telling them about Jesus and they start getting saved, this is what will happen. Through evil spirits, through your flesh nature, through the ways of the world, you too would be scandalized. The enemy wants to stop you. You better decide right up front that Jesus is assigned to be opposed. There is opposition in the world. There are people that hate God. The enemies hate God, and because they hate God, they can't get God. They can't win over God because God has already won. It's already settled. So they will come after the one that God loves, and that's Christians or even non-Christians. They're making every effort to keep people from coming to Christ and have a proper relationship. 
I think it's very interesting the song that RJ played. I was really grateful that the uh, artist repeated the lyrics like, what, four times because he's so fast I couldn't understand what he was saying and I can't, couldn't read fast enough because he was going faster than I can read, right? But he repeated the lyrics like four times. But it's really interesting that he was talking about how somebody who hates themselves has a hard time seeing others in the difficulty that they're in and caring about them. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, it's a little worldly to say if you have to love yourself first before you love others. I don't even think that's biblical. I do think maybe it's biblical to say you have to love God first before you can truly love others and understand what love is. We love because He first loved us and we learned how to love from Him. And now I want you to look at the example of Jesus and compare it to the example of most of the people that we know. And how many people are going around loving people the way Jesus loved people? So that you never, so your brother, your sister, your cousin, your mother, your uncle, your friend, the person you work with, never carries a burden alone. If you have ever carried a burden alone, except with Jesus, obviously if you're saved, Jesus is with you, right? He he walks with everybody and helps with the burdens. If you have ever carried a burden alone, just you and Jesus, then you know that there was probably somebody who claims to be a Christian who should have been there for you to help you carry that that burden. That's pretty interesting. Christians are not loving people the way Jesus loves people. And we need to repent and turn to God and understand that if we do not learn to love people the way Jesus loves people, that we may not be established in holiness at the coming of Jesus. Jesus would be assigned to be opposed. Because there is opposition, there must also be allies. I want to be your ally. Others in this room want to be your ally. The church is a unified body of Christ representing Jesus in this world, and we are supposed to work together. Every time you use your spiritual gift in the body, it strengthens other believers. Every time you choose not to use your spiritual gift in the body, you weaken other believers, and that is not love. Every time you get too busy in your own life to show up and serve, give, care, every time you think you need the money more than God should get the money. Every time you think you uh, have an appointment that keeps you out of worship or that you have a friction or a struggle in your spouse and you come with a wrong heart to worship or the list just goes on. Every time you allow anything of the world and believe me, there is a very active opposition. So the truth is, you could have found a hundred reasons not to be here today. Some of you are thinking of reasons right now why you should not have been here today because that's what the enemy does. There are more reasons not to follow Jesus, more reasons not to follow the Lord, love the Lord, follow and love others, serve, give, stretch yourself, sacrifice yourself. There are more reasons not to do that than there are to do it. And the enemy is perfectly happy to point them all out to you and to me. Jesus would be assigned to be opposed, and that's painful enough. But then also, a sword would pierce even her own soul. He said to Mary, the woman who said, uh, Lord, your maidservant, I am, do whatever you would. Just go ahead. And invited, essentially invited, although she was told it was going to happen, but essentially invited God to come into her bed, if that's where she was, and to impregnate her without a man, and to set her on this amazing journey, which she could have been stoned to death, but of course God provided, and he spoke to Joseph and made a way, and, the, and, the, and it just all goes on. But when would that soul of Mary be pierced? I submit to you it began maybe on Christmas night. 
It began when she received what she thought was an awesome gift from God that she thought she knew. And she thought, man, this is going to be awesome. We've come to see the child. For an angel appeared to us and said, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of Savior, who is Messiah the Lord. Then a chorus of angels began to sing to us. This is the shepherd speaking, of course. Glory to God in the highest in heaven and on earth. Peace among those whom he favors. Man, that's good wrapping paper. And there she was set up, if you will. And here she begins to see the pain in relief. But what was Mary's piercing? Was it, we have to leave our home and everything we can't put on the back of a camel or two or a donkey or two. We're going to use just the money and gifts that the Magi bought and whatever we have and we're going to flee to Egypt. We're going to leave everyone and everything we know and and really only just me and you and the baby and maybe a couple of others or whatever, but we're all, we're all going to leave here and flee to Egypt and leave our life behind. And Or was it just getting the word that every baby around her that was less than two years old was going to be killed, including hers? Would that have pierced your soul if you were a mother? That sounds pretty harsh. Was it as Jesus came up? Was it when he said, when she said, Honey, can you make this water into wine? Because we seem not to have gotten enough. And he said, but mother, it's not my time yet. But then he did make the water into wine, didn't he? Was it when he came on the scene and everyone was speaking against him? And she started hearing all the rumors? Was it when she decided, remember, she decided after everything, all of this, she decided that her son Jesus was nuts. Was it when she decided that he was crazy and she and his brothers came to take him home? Or was it when Jesus himself said, and by rumor it was passed to her, and he said, no, these who gather around me and listening, they are my mother and brothers. So if your child said to you, no, Mary Kay is my mother. If Rayleigh grew up and became a teenager and said, no, I'm not, you're not my mother, Mary's my mother. Would that not run a sword through your soul as a parent? Was it when, she, when he came home to visit and, and all the miracles that he had done in so many places, but when he came back to where he kind of came from, he could do very few miracles because the people around him were despising him. They were thinking so little of him and thinking, well, it's just Joseph the carpenter's son. He's nobody special. And he only did a few healings there. And she thought, man, when, she, when he comes back home, he can't hardly do anything. But elsewhere, everywhere else in the world, to all the strangers, he's great. But to me, to, to us here, was it when she came to the cross or watched him beaten, his skin filleted off his back and she could see the tendons hanging out? Carrying his cross to Golgotha, was that when the sword ran through her soul? was when she stood at the bottom of the cross and he was clearly and evidently going to die and he was suffering horribly for those six hours, I think it was. And he couldn't exhale. 
And she had to watch him push with his feet off the nail in the cross and grind the flesh off his back some more in order to be able to let his breath out so he could take another breath and then sag that back down in agony with a crown of thorns. Is that when a sword was run through her soul? Maybe yes, maybe all of it. So many words spoken against Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus beaten just short of death. Was it when He hung on the cross just short of death and her heart's in bitterness and she's losing her son and He prayed, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And suddenly, she realized that everything that she had ever been told about Jesus was now coming true and that He loved those who were crucifying Him. Because I guarantee you, she didn't. Well, I don't know the answer to that question. But I know for a fact that the prophecy was fulfilled. A sword would pierce even her soul. So Jesus was appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed. And the opposition has been much and continues unendingly without lack of endurance. And a sword would pierce even her own soul. To the end, that thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. God knows. And in the end, if I could say it this way, everyone will know. On the day when all is settled and done, Everyone will know. Everyone will know whether you were lying about being a follower of Jesus. Everyone will know whether you were loving others or just doing things to try to get ahead, manipulate, whatever. Everyone will know about your anger outbursts that you try to conceal or try to play off as no big deal. Everyone will know about your stingy heart or your nasty preferring yourself or preferring your certain loved ones over others. Everyone will know. Because that is why Jesus came. Because in the hearts of men, there are truths that simply must be revealed. You could go to heaven and go, it's not fair. Pastor Dan didn't make it in. He preached the gospel. I heard. It's not right. He's not here. He seemed to love me so much. He seemed to stand up for me so much. But listen to me. If by some chance that would happen, understand, the truths of hearts will be revealed. You may be surprised at who doesn't make it in, but you won't be baffled as to why. Because every heart will be exposed. To the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed... 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13 says it this way, Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that He may establish your hearts without blame and holiness because our God and Father at the com- before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. I want to go in. I'm begging God to teach me to love other people. We began by asking ourselves, when does Christmas end? When does Christmas 
end. Why don't we love all year long like we supposedly love at Christmas? A couple months back, we were at the life station and we consistently give away groceries. And we were giving away groceries then on delivery every two weeks and we give away groceries. People can come to, for referral to the front door monthly and then plus they can come get pantry support weekly. And I had somebody come and they said, well, so-and-so is running a, a pop-up pantry down there and they've got all this stuff they're giving away. And they said, well, why, why don't you give away that much stuff? Because they were giving away more than we were. They were comparing what they were giving away that day to what we were. And I said, I'm sorry, we don't have this, that, and the other, what you just described. I said, well, we do have all of this and we're happy to give it to you and we want to serve you. And I said, also, next week, you can come back again. Did you rush out and buy Christmas presents for your family? Did you rush out and buy, or did you plan ahead? Judy used to start buying her Christmas presents in May. Finish up about the beginning of November. Not because she was specifically trying to follow Jesus, but because she just really liked to shop for people. You know? She really liked to think about how awesome it's going to be when they open that gift and they see it and how good it feels. Did you do that? Why do you only do that in December? Do you want to try to make the statement? Do any of us want to try to make the statement that that kind of giving, that saving up money and buying nice gifts and unwrapping things, that that somehow honors Jesus on his birthday? That that's specifically about Jesus' gift to us? Now this would honor Jesus if you did that every day. Could you do it every day? No. Because we've made such a process out of it. We've made it such a big deal. you got to write, well, this is how Sherry and I started. We said, well, we've got this much money. We have a spending plan. We've accumulated this much money. And we want to buy it. For, we try to make a list of everybody. We for sure absolutely wanted to. And then we added people on throughout because we found other people that were like, oh, I think they would love that. I want to buy that for them. Or I just want to get them. Or I just want to do that. I just feel led of the Lord to do that. Whatever. And so the list kept being amorphous. You know, it wasn't settled. And then there were even some people on the list that, and I, I'm just going to be plain to you, I don't buy junk presents. I don't buy stuff just to buy stuff. I don't believe in that. I think that dishonors Jesus. So I had, some, I had a couple people on my list that I really wanted to buy for, but I just couldn't think of what to buy for them, so I didn't buy them anything because if God wanted me to buy them something, he would have showed me what to buy. And that's the way you're supposed to do it. You should buy gifts that are meaningful because Jesus is a very meaningful gift. But, but wait, I think we've already determined that the whole buying of gifts thing and giving it on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve probably isn't about Jesus anyway, right? If it was, we'd be doing it all year long. You say, but I don't have the money to do it all year long. Maybe that's because we think that you have to buy something in the store and give them a gift receipt and wrap it up and give it to them in order to express love to them or in order to express how Jesus came. Or something, I don't understand. Use your spiritual gift in the church. Give of your time year-round. Listen to me. I want to say this, this the Lord says, Holy Spirit backed, I believe this 100%. If you hear about a need in the church, a brother or a sister that is struggling, doesn't matter what it is, they need it. Even if it's their fault and you hear about a need, don't assume somebody else knows, don't assume somebody else is going to do something about it, and don't stop until the problem is solved. That's how Jesus loved that's the love that he's talking about when he says we need that in us 
acted out through us in order to have a firm foundation and be established in holiness on the day that Jesus comes. If you don't do it that way, if you hear a brother or sister who is in need and you don't, the bare minimum if you pray about it, but I submit to you if you pray about it, that's just the beginning. Then out of that, you should have some kind of solution, some kind of step you can take. If you can't figure it out, you go to Brother Tony, because that's kind of like his, that's his bag. That's what he, he can figure it out. He can do it. If he can't figure it out, he's gonna, he knows who he can ask. And we've we got to just step up and cover the bases. And make sure that our people are not suffering needlessly and definitely not suffering alone because Jesus does not allow people to suffer needlessly and He does not allow them to suffer alone. If you spend $150 on presents for somebody at Christmas time, why not spend $15 a month on them all year round and buy a meaningful gift every time? And if you miss a month because you can't think of a meaningful gift, then spend $30 on them the next month. You said, oh, but I can't do that because I've got to pay my bills. and all that. If that's true, then you just blew it with Christmas because you spent $150 on Christmas that you actually are saying you couldn't afford to spend year-round. When does Christmas end? God gave us Jesus' gift. When did He take Him back? When does Christmas end? Christmas Jesus' way, Christmas God's way, does not end. Talking with a young man told me that he really isn't that fond of Christmas carols. And I said, Well, there are some Christmas carols I love, and there are some Christmas carols eh, I could kind of give or take. And I said, I know what I know exactly what the difference is. The difference is I love the Christmas carols that are about Jesus. And a Christmas carol that's about Jesus isn't a one month out of the year or a two month out of the year thing. It includes the message. Have you listened to the lyrics of Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Do you know what in excelsis Deo means? Gloria in excelsis Deo means glory to God in the highest or in the absolute most amount. We went to a Christmas concert a few years ago back at Northwood. They sang that song. It was, uh, it was more than a few years ago. I think it was Amalia was back there then. Maybe even Alicia too. But it was about five, six years ago. In the choir, they sang that song. And guess what happened? 300 people in the audience, 250 people, whatever. They all sang it. Atheists, people who hate Jesus, people who hate the church, the entire audience sang Gloria in Excelsis Deo because God did this right in front of everybody. I submit to you, He's still doing Christmas right in front of everybody. There's only one day of the year that I would ever consider not celebrating Christmas. And it's Easter. Because that's the day we celebrate specifically the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When does Christmas end? The answer is, according to God, it does not. Jesus was sent. He was sent for the rise and fall of many. And by the way, still. So it began and so it continues. He would be assigned to be opposed. Is Jesus assigned to be opposed? Yes. So it began and so it continues. And a sword would pierce even Mary's own soul. So it is for all the favored of God who have to go through the kinds of things. There is sorrow and sighing on the road and the highway of holiness. When we get to heaven, there will be no more tears. But in the meantime... 
You will suffer. I will suffer. Bad things will happen. And all of this is to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So if there is an answer to the question of when Christmas happens, what is the answer? When it ends, what is the answer? It ends on the judgment day. That's when it ends. Because that's when the process of revealing the truth of the hearts of men will be concluded. That's when Christmas ends. Put your Christmas lights up. Go ahead. Wrap your presents. Go ahead. Put the Christmas tree in there. Keep it alive for as long as you can. But let us not forget that Christmas doesn't end on December 26th or with the giving of a bad present or forgetting something or after all the cleanup and everything's put together and all the returns are done. Christmas doesn't end until Jesus comes again. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, you are our awesome Father. You orchestrated this. You did this in front of everybody. And some folks blinded by the God of this age simply will not believe. I believe, Lord. Help me with my unbelief. Help me practice the giving loving spirit that people try to embody in a, a fat man in a red suit with a corn cob pipe and the ability to scoot up and down chimneys. Help me practice the living and giving loving spirit that is practiced on Christmas every day of the year. Help me never set aside a need without speaking to you about it and determining how I can make a difference. I know already, because I've seen it so many times, that when I get tired, you will recharge me. I know already, because I've seen it so many times, that when I, when I am under attack, you will defend me. I know, I know already, because I've seen it so many times, that when I am dismayed, or feel like I am, I will be reminded that I should not be dismayed. And your word will come again. Your spirit will exhibit himself again. Your people will step up again. Lord, in the middle of the craziness that has been 2020, the gospel under attack, even our way of life outside the gospel, seditiously under attack. Now living in a world where people think they can just redefine words. If they have enough authority, enough followers on Twitter, they can take a word like love or a word like marriage or a word like serving or whatever that we, we see as a principle from Scripture and they can totally redefine it and they can begin to force it on anybody they want. You set our definitions. You govern us. You send us. You strengthen us. You protect us. And you give us a job to do. 
And let us be reminded very plainly today that whether or not we are standing firmly in holiness, the next coming of Jesus, of course, requires belief. But it's really wrapped up in, really determined by whether or not we love one another and others who might come to you. Help us, Father. Or we pitched the wrapping paper, we burnt the wrapping paper, in a number of days we'll put the tree away or put it out by the curb. We'll be done giving gifts for the 2020 Christmas soon. mistakenly believed that another Christmas will have come and gone. And that's not what happens at Christmas time. It doesn't come and go. There is only one Christmas. And it's still going on. Our Christmas time is just the time that we try to remember. We try to act out and do the things that we're supposed to do. Sometimes compelled to buy gifts that we wouldn't even buy left to our own devices because a holiday has come. Sometimes compelled to spend money. And I can't count enough Christmas gifts that I received when I was a child to even fill my fingers and toes. But I do remember the time that was spent and the expressions of love. And I believe that we can do that all year round. That we can care. That we can love the way we were loved. And now, Lord, I believe we must. I believe if we do not, then we will be amongst those who fall rather than amongst those who rise at the coming of our Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, but we knew not what we were doing. Help us to love this way. Pour out upon us the Holy Spirit of love, the Holy Spirit of peace, Make us generous and compassionate, kind, giving, humble. Let's start finding out when people's birthdays are. Let us find out what people's candy, what favorite candy bar is. Let us start finding out what people's struggles are. Let us start finding out what kind of words most encourage us individually. Let us start finding out how to show up and practice the love that is celebrated on Christmas Day but has been going on since that first Christmas so long ago. Let us proclaim what we have seen and heard so that others may have fellowship with us and let our fellowship with be with you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. I ask the praise team to come forward then, and we're going to sing a closing hymn.
But if you're here today and the Lord has spoken to your heart and you need to share what He has said, if you either get my attention where you are or walk forward in front of the room, I'll give you an opportunity to speak. Uh, if you're here today and you would say, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, begin to live for Him in earnest for the first time ever, regardless of what anybody else thinks, I'm following Jesus. And you make this decision today to let us know what it is. If you're already a follower of Jesus, but you realize today that you have not been loving the way that Jesus would have you to love, and it's kind of scares you to think that you're not on stable ground, and that Jesus would come and you would not be considered established in holiness when he comes, then you turn to God today. You're not turning to me, or this sermon, or even the Bible, but you turn to God today, and let God cleanse you, uh, forgive you, and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then I would suggest, proclaim that, and say, hey, God has done that in me today, all right? As we sing the song, would you uh, stand with us? And this is our final hymn. Uh, and then this is your opportunity also to make public any decision that you have made today. What an appropriate song it is.
conferences at this time. We'll have a short break and then come back in for the membership meeting. So the membership meeting is where we talk about, quote, important things or that all members should know and have an opportunity to speak to, understand, vote on, that kinds of things. And so everyone is welcome, whether you're a member or not. Um, and, and in fact, we welcome your input. We've had a number of times over the years where non-members have been present and, and felt like God really spoke through them. And the body said, yes, that's exactly what we need to know. So we definitely welcome you to be with us. That is also the place at which you would uh, handle any membership questions, like if you wanted to join the church, or if you were transferring your membership, or if you had an accountability, something you were doing with somebody and it reached the point of bringing